So why? Right? Why? Why, uh, why have this conversation with you about what a few of us have walked through? Um, because it is the gospel. Adoption is the good news of Jesus. We've been in the middle of a series, almost finished with a series, on the Father heart of God through the book of the Bible, 1 John. And we, last week, came to the point where we saw in 1 John that it is through our adoption into God's family that we overcome the world. The church and church people often nitpick Bible verses and then we put them on coffee mugs and we put them on t-shirts and uh, sometimes forget why we put those on coffee mugs and why we say they're our favorite verse. Or, and one of those is, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But that is written in the midst of you being adopted into God's family. And so adoption is the gospel that when you were unlovable, God loved you. That when you were not seeking him, God was seeking you. And this is the story of Christianity. The difference, for those of you that go to church here, I say this almost every week, if I can fit it in somewhere. But the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is that every religion in the world says you need to rise to God. And Christianity says, no, no, you can't. So God came to you. And that is the difference in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, that he did for you what you could never do for yourself. And that's where adoption fits the picture. And that's what I want to unfold for you today is just a biblical picture, a doctrinal view of adoption. Why is this so important? For you to wrap your head around as a human, as a Christian, or even as a non-Christian. Why is this such a big deal that if you don't get this, you don't get anything? Why is this important? And then I want to challenge you to get involved in orphan care. And I'll lay out a little bit of that. Certainly will not be an exhaustive thing. But let me give you some stats to get started, UNICEF reports that there are 153 million orphans in the world. 153 million orphans in the world. Pew Research reports that there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world. 153 million orphans, 2.2 billion Christians. What's wrong with that picture? Let's keep going. 120,000 Orphans in the United States, 120,000 orphans in the U.S., 12 and a half million evangelical Christians in the U.S., 120,000 orphans in the U.S., 12 and a half million Christians in the U.S. Let's bring it a little closer to home. In Florida, it's been estimated that if one family out of every two churches... So one family out of every other church in the state of Florida would adopt one child. There would be no orphans left in Florida. Brings it a little closer to home. What I want to do today is say some hard things to you with great joy. Is that makes any sense? It's counterintuitive that we would have a hard conversation and out of it get great joy. Okay, so what we're going to do 
is we're going to walk through the doctrine of adoption in the Bible. And then we're going to talk about the practical answer for you and I. But here's where we start. James 1.27. It'll be on the screen for you. Here, here's where it begins. This is where we point to when we talk about adoption in Scripture or orphan care in Scripture or religion in Scripture. Any of it. It begins here. Here's what James says. Religion that God are what? Father. We're talking about the Father heart of God. What is closest to God's heart? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Where is the church in orphan care? Where are we? The numbers are staggering. The gap between the amount of orphans and the amount of Christians in the world is really big. We have a calling and we don't have time today, but if you do a simple Google search of orphan care in the Bible, you will see from the very beginning to the very end that God is for orphan care, that he's a father to the fatherless, that he's a defender of those who cannot defend themselves. And repeatedly through scripture, we are told to take care of the orphan. Where's the church? We could stop with James 127 and have our marching orders, couldn't we? We could feel bad about ourselves and we could go do something and that would be good, right? Yeah, that's where you say yes. We can do better, right? Yeah, but the gospel is good news. The gospel is not a to-do list. So what I want to do today is show you your privilege of adoption. The privilege that you have to be included in the family of God and the privilege that you have to bring peace hope and life to the less fortunate. Jesus said in Matthew 25:40, this is not on the screen, this is free. Matthew 25:40 says, "Truly whatever you do for the least of my brothers and sisters, you do for me." Whatever you do for the least of my brothers and sisters, you do for me. Who in our world is the least of these? Have you ever asked yourself that question? When Jesus says that, who do you think about? Who is the least? From a biblical perspective, you and I are the least. We are unlovable because of our sin. The Bible teaches that sin separates us from a holy God. In our world, who is the least? The orphan, the child without a father and a mother. They are the least of these. Because what Jesus is communicating when he says, I will defend the fatherless, is that they cannot defend themselves. 
They cannot work for themselves. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot do what is required to live life. And there is horse loads of research about that that I don't have time to give you. But if you want to have coffee, we'll give it to you. All right? So what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that if the church is going to engage in orphan care, we go to the least of these and give out of what we have so that they can have. That's what the bottom line of orphan care looks like. And there's a lot of ways that we do that and I'll walk through that. But what I want to do first is look at your life and know that there is compelling joy in being part of the answer because you've been adopted. Because you've been adopted. I referenced this earlier, but J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. And he asked the question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? There's probably, you know, 70 people in here and there's probably 70 different answers that could be given about what is a Christian. And you'd all be right. And you could probably find all of them in the Bible. But at a basic level, what does it mean to be a Christian? Packer says this, one who knows God as Father. One who knows God as Father. He goes on to say this, adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. And then he makes a scandalous statement, if you know anything about doctrine. He says this, he says, even higher than justification. That's a heavy, that's a heavy thought because... Justification is the primary, fundamental blessing of the gospel. What is justification? It is the legal declaration that before God you are not guilty. That Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin and for mine and paid the price in full. And then he said on that cross with his arms spread out wide, he said to Telestai, it is finished. Done. And then in the Bible it says that no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. That Jesus is greater than he was in the world. He will hold you in the family of God. If you could lose your salvation, you would lose your salvation. Justification is the primary blessing of the gospel. Without that, you don't have Christianity. But what is the most Precious doctrine in the family of God is adoption. Because adoption is the experiential blessing of, the do- of adoption. Because when you are declared not guilty, you walk free. But when you are adopted, you are adopted into the family and you experience all the blessings of being in the family of God It's not that you're just not wrong. It's that you are made right. Does that make sense? That without... It's not just that God took your sin away, but it's that God gave you Jesus' righteousness. That you, when the Father in heaven looks down at you, He sees Christ. Let me show you what I mean in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 22. John chapter 15, verses 15 to 22. I believe this will be on the screen for you. Yep. 
Here, here's what the Bible says. Say what? 14, sorry. That's why I can't find it. I'm like, that's not what that says. <laughs> if you want the perfect church, you ain't in the right place. <laughs> you stuck with me, sorry. Chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Most of us stop there with the gospel, don't we? Most of us stop there. The Bible is a rule book. It's my guide for living. It's my manual for life. And it is those things, but that's not the main point of the Bible. Here is what Jesus actually said. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot. How would you like to be named Judas at that time? (laughs) Not that one. Hi, I'm Judas. No, 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 not that one. Not Iscariot. I'm Judas... Whatever. Jones. I'm Judas Jones. I think I'd change my name at that point. It'd be like having your name, your last name be Laden right now. You're like, ah, I'm going to change my name. Not that one. But Lord, why do you intend... To show yourself to us and not to the world. Because when you're adopted into the family of God, you know the Father. You can know me, but you'll never know me as a father. When we traveled to Ethiopia to meet Malachi for the first time, as you can imagine... There was a full gamut of emotions. Because one of the things that you understand when you get to know your Bible and you get to know the Lord and you begin to walk with Jesus is that what you begin to realize is that Jesus fought for you when you did not fight for him. And even in fact, when you did not want him. One of the most difficult parts of adopting internationally and I, I, I suppose domestically, I can't speak for them, but one of the difficult parts of adopting internationally is that you begin to fight for your child long before they know who you are. So we were in the adoption process for three years, the first two not having ever met Malachi and doing paperwork and paying bills and, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that 
that go to this child that you hope to be yours. And so you go through all this legal paperwork and all these things and all these things and and it's more and more and more and then you get matched with your child and you still haven't met your child and then they don't send you pictures of your child and then you just, you're fighting, fighting, fighting and you're raising money and you're raising money and you're fighting and you're fighting and you're going through legal battles here and legal battles there and you're fighting for your kids and then you go meet them. And you, they have been this labor of love for years. And then you go meet them and they just look at you. They're not like, Daddy! <laughs> Mommy! They're like, white person. <laughs> I've heard about you. <laughs> and you're like, Oh my, you don't speak any English. We are adopting you. You need incredible, incredible help. Our son has spina bifida and, um, you know, there was just a lot of complications when we brought him here that he had to go through this past year. And uh, all of these things are running through your head and he's sitting there as a five-year-old boy at the time, literally in his filth, and had no idea that he needed me. Had no idea that he needed Camden. And is that not a picture of the gospel? Amen. That as you sit there right now, even though you know Christ, you have no idea how much you need Christ. And if you don't walk with Jesus, if you're not a Christian, I would submit to you that this is your story. That you sit here today and you have no idea that you need Christ. Adoption is like that. That God sought you out when you were not seeking Him out. And as we brought Malachi home a little over a year ago, um, and he began that transition that for any human being moving to a different country and learning a different language would find difficult as a five-year-old to be taken out of the only thing that you ever knew and put into what you didn't know, and they're shoving medicine down your throat. I mean, I literally, I was like, he, he was really sick when he got here, and, you know, he didn't know it. So there was, like, prescriptions and things that he had to take. And so, I mean, I remember being at our kitchen table, and I was pulling his head back and stuffing pills down his throat, and he probably thought I was trying to kill him. And what, what we sometimes feel like is, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And he's saying to you to save you. This is the gospel. That he's doing for you what you need, even though you don't know you need it. So the next time you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, know that it is his rod that guides you. That it's him who will lead you beside still waters. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. One of the things that has happened in my heart and in Malachi's heart is that we have learned to love each other. And it has been a process. That's my other child crying. The biological one. And um, 
I want you to know today that it is in your mess that Jesus meets you. But it is not in your mess that Jesus leaves you. The Bible says it this way, he that has begun a good work in you will complete it. One of the things that Malachi's had to learn is that when you come into the coon family, you're expected to act like a coon. Sometimes you don't like that. If you know can, then you know why. Okay, so when Malachi got here, he could not walk, he couldn't stand, he couldn't, he could barely crawl. He would do this like monkey crawl thing, and uh, you know that was how he got around. And uh, he he didn't even have any context for what being a five-year-old boy is, because he couldn't be. And so he began physical therapy, and he began occupational therapy, and he began eating food that wasn't just rice. That's all he wanted, rice. What do you want to eat? He would point at the bag of rice. (laughs) And then he began to learn English, and all of these things, and now that he knows English, we've been able to begin conversations and hear the things that were going through his mind. And what is amazing is that he has already begun to take on our characteristics, which is equally horrifying as it is. <laughs> it was just yesterday. All right, moment of confession. Bible says confess your sins one to another, and in this way, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like the rest of it, so I'm not going to quote it. You know it. Just yesterday, a car went flying around us in the car, and Malachi goes, Hey! <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. Father, I have sinned. <laughs> it was like, oh my word. It's like, it took you all of a year to take on your father's terrible traits. But this is also the gospel that you would be clothed in Christ. It's one of the joys of knowing Jesus is that sanctification, most of us have been taught, is us getting better. When in reality, sanctification is our becoming more and more in the realization that we need Jesus. And his righteousness. And what you'll find is that as you wrap your head around less about what you need to do and more about what Jesus has done, you will do more. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. But it's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And so it's in that that we see Christ. Now, let me just unpack this for you a little bit in the Bible as to what exactly adoption does, and then I'll I'll quit with some practical um, suggestions for us. But but here in Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse twenty three, I got to check myself now. Galatians three twenty three. Here it is. Before the coming of this faith, before we were seeking God, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, 
you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And then perhaps the most scandalous statement in all of the Bible, and if you would have been living this in this time, this would have blown your mind. Here's what it says. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. In other words, there's no race problem in heaven. We have a race problem in this country. Jesus looks at all of us. As the children's song says, red and yellow, black and white, they are what? Precious in his sight. This is the gospel. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave nor free. And then another one that would have blown their mind in that culture. There's no male and female. But what? The men in the room, when that was read to the church at Galatia, would have been like, no, I don't like that one. Jesus was just breaking down all the barriers. And here's what he said. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, voluntarily I might add, To redeem those under the law. That we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Let me give you three blessings of those adopted into the family of God. Number one, because you are a son, you have a new identity. Some of you, when you came to Christ, you came broken. You came understanding that you were not who you ought to be. And you came expecting to get a to-do list. And instead, you found an invitation into the family of God. Some of you might be sitting here saying, I'm here today because... I need to be a better person or I'm sitting here because I I need this or I need that or God expects this or God expects that. And God would say, no, it starts here that as you are, God loves you and that he came for you at your worst and offered you his best. The Holy Spirit confirms in us the security of our salvation. The Holy Spirit confirms that we have what we call in the adoption community a forever family. You see, some of you, your story has been that your parents didn't live up to what they ought to have. And your home was broken. And you've been without a father or you've been without a mother and you've been without the family that God intended you to have. And God would look at you and say, 
where they have failed, I have succeeded. That where you don't have a loving father, you have a loving father. And that in the gospel, you have everything that you need that you've never had. That God meets you where you are and brings you into the family of God and you have a new identity. I say it to you this way. You are a wanted child of God. You are not who you once were. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. I think that will be on the screen for us. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You're a new person when you meet Christ. One of the things that kind of blew Malachi's mind when we adopted him was he was living in an orphanage at the time. And, um, you know, just the way things are, you, you don't have anything. You don't have toys. You don't have. And so, like, when he came to us, we noticed right away that he would do things with his hands uh, to play. Like he had a gun and he had cars and different things that he would do with his hands because he was he was playing. He was doing what normal kids do, but without toys. And he was just making them. And uh, it was fascinating. But as he moved into our home, he didn't step in and work for toys. He didn't step in and work for food. When he came into our house, he had his own room. He had his own bed. He had his own toys. And he began to experience Experience the blessing of adoption. That all that I had was his. And this is the gospel that every good and perfect gift that comes down from above is for you from the Father. That all that Christ has is yours. You see, there's, there's opposite problems in, in our world that Some would say you have to be poor to be spiritual. Some would say that you have to be rich to be spiritual. And God would say that neither of those are right. That wherever you are, you are poor. And wherever you are in Christ, you are rich. That the gospel breaks down all of those things and gives you a new identity. And as Galatians said, we put on Christ. So number two, because you're a son, you have a new position. Regardless of race, gender, or status, you are a son. This was incredibly scandalous. And it's incredibly timely for us today that as we consider the issues that divide our country, that we would look at the gospel and say, in Christ we are one. Though he didn't know me and search for me, Malachi enjoys all the rights of being in our family. And though you didn't know Christ, and though you didn't search for Christ, you enjoy all the benefits of being in his family. This is the gospel. And then third, because you're a son, you have a new inheritance. What is coming for you is now completely different. You were a slave But now you're a son. Deserving eternal death, you will instead receive eternal life. As a slave to the spirit of the world, your inheritance was hell. It's not a curse word, it's a real place. And we believe it because the Bible teaches it. 
that it's not just an idea, but it, it's a place. And I've explained before that it would actually be unloving for hell not to be real because if you hated my son, would it be loving for me to bring you into my home and allow you to live with me? Would that be loving? That would not be loving. That would actually be quite unloving. And so what we understand in the gospel is that even in the bad news, there's good news. And that the Bible is both inclusive and exclusive, that the invitation is open to all and all who would put their faith in Christ are welcome into the family of God. But knowing that all will not because there are many antichrists, people opposed to the gospel. And so as a son of God, your inheritance is heaven. Heaven on earth. Jesus taught us to pray that he would bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and then heaven for eternity. What does all that mean? Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. And so here's where we end back in James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. And then the first thing he says is to look after orphans. So I bring us back to where we started. Where is the church? Where are you? In orphan care. How are you fulfilling pure, faultless religion before God the Father? That to whom much is given, much is required. That as you were brought into the family of God, you were to extend that family of God to the least of these. Where are you in orphan care? Orphan care is the purest expression of the gospel. And God is inviting you into it. We step into orphan care as the church because we understand that we too are orphans that have been adopted into the family. So let me give you just a couple ways that you can get involved. See, because I used to think that adoption was for everybody. And now that I've adopted, I recognize adoption is not for everybody. There are days where I wouldn't suggest it. But I will say this, that if God calls you to adoption, you'll know. And he will guide you to that child that he wants you to adopt. And so I fully believe that sitting here today is somebody that God is tapping on the heart saying you need to adopt. If God is tapping you on the heart, please come talk to me. Come talk to me and Kevin. We would love to walk you through that process because what we began as wanting a multicultural family has turned into what Jesus said. If you lay your life down, you'll find it. That's, that's what it looks like. It looks like you sacrificing your life for theirs. And it is a great joy and privilege. But you should, as the Bible says, count the cost. Three ways that you can do orphan care. Number one, family preservation. One of the most important components of orphan care is to prevent orphans. The greatest cause of orphan care in the world today is poverty. And so one of the things that Camden and I initially got started in was uh, child sponsorship. Uh, we chose to do it through Compassion International. There's lots of reasons for that. 
Um, one of them being that the government or another independent organization, I forget if it's government or not, but keeps track of nonprofits and how they use their funds. Uh, Compassion International rates one of the highest on that uh, ranking. I don't know how they do it, but I'm sure we can find it if you're interested. But they are trustworthy. And uh, the second reason is that when we went to meet Malachi and then bring Malachi home is we got to meet the child that we sponsor uh, in Ethiopia. And we got to go visit him and visit his family. And I'll tell you, one of the things that was like wild and just messed me up a little bit was walking into his little mud hut with a grass roof and seeing all the things we had ever sent him proudly displayed in the family's home. And just that. And then he was, you know, they were trying to serve us and give us things. And, you know, then the whole village is surrounding the hut and looking again at the white people. And uh, it was beautiful. It really, really was. Because what I learned in that is that you don't need riches to find joy in Christ. You need love and acceptance. And so part of the call of orphan care is to prevent orphans. And you can do that in such simple ways. For $36 a month, you can be a part of somebody's life anywhere in the world and bring incredible hope. We just got a, a letter from uh, Farah Hall is his name. We just got a letter from him yesterday and we'll sit down at our kitchen table today and write one back, you know, and you see his little Amharic writing and then it's translated for you and it's awesome. And he draws us pictures and sends us pictures and sends us his report card since we're paying for him to go to school. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. It really is. And to know that the accountability is there, that you can go visit that child at any time and see what's happening is, is really remarkable. So there's family preservation. There's other ministries like Make Your Mark, uh, who does work both in the United States in the Charlotte area and also in Ethiopia. They're doing incredible things that we've seen firsthand. Um, you can support ministries like that. Um, you can do uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Small way right here in Tampa Bay to get involved in being the difference. Making the, the, the change in your heart. All right? And if you've got questions, Tammy is on the board. Am I right? Yeah. So there, there we go. Number two, foster care. I have a lot of respect for those in foster care. Uh, it's one of the difficult aspects of orphan care. And we need great families who love Jesus to be involved in foster care. Very cool. So you can talk to Tammy about all of it. Maybe God would call you to do that. To be that bridge from nothing to a family. From heartbreak, you can begin to mend that fence as they find a family. And then, finally, adoption. Local, international. And maybe just supporting a family that has. You know, as God taps people on the heart to adopt, they need help. To the tune of Tens of thousands of dollars to the tune of uh, we need a weekend off. <laughs> right. So that's not that's not an advertisement. All right. Sort of. 
But uh, Camden would say it is. But, um, you know, there are so many ways that people have stepped into Camden and I's life and brought help in the simplest of ways. For some of you, it was a gift card to dinner. It's a big deal. When you're doing all of the things that have to be done, uh, not worrying about dinner is a big deal. For some of you, it was coming into our home and doing our laundry or cleaning our house or washing our cars when we brought Malachi home. Some of you, it was um, selling bracelets many moons ago. You know, I think I think Melissa probably has one or two of those. And, uh, you know, all the way through, whether it was being the welcome party at the the airport. You know, I look around, I, I remember some of you being there. So there's just so many ways. And this is the tip of the iceberg of a conversation that should be ongoing in the church. But what I want you to know is that it is not a chore. It's a privilege. And so whatever level God would call you into, you know, because... Some of you, you can't adopt right now. But you can get involved in orphan care. And God tells us that it's the most pure expression of the gospel because it is what he did for you. So I want to challenge you to go before the Lord and ask him, Holy Spirit, where would you have me be involved? And then get educated and then get educated because emotional decisions lead to bad decisions. As God pricks your heart, he will give you wisdom. The two are not separated. That in this church, there is wisdom for this conversation. And so I would challenge you to ask God where and then go get educated. And do it. Because the Bible says we're doers of the word, not just hearers. And so, um, a little bit different of a Sunday for us today. So if it's your first time, you got to come back next week and uh, see us in normal fashion. But this is a privilege. This is the highest privilege we have as followers of Jesus. So let me pray for us and then we'll we'll sing a little bit more. Um, on our way out. But as we do, and as we pray, and as we consider all that God is doing, I want to challenge you to open your heart to what God is doing in your life. That you were not here by accident, but that you were here to hear that word from God and to step into it and do what God has called you to do.